And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your host, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 138. We're back. Um, little bit short staff today it's it's dave and myself uh nate's a little bit under the weather wishing him get well soon shout out to nate man hope you're feeling better yeah hopefully hopefully it's just a little the regular regular cold flu not nothing catastrophic but um right. shout out to nate uh dave and i are here we have another you know just another dope episode lined up man we've been we've yeah. been on the run mr mr david ma before i get too far into it though how's it going dave it's going all right. It's all going all right, Damone. Um, same shit. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that we have some breathable air. And yeah. uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Hopefully more than two days. Yeah. And also, <laughs> maybe for certain people, we wish they don't have breathable air. Or right. can't breathe at all. Right. Um, hey, well, I, I, I just hope they stay very positive about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I offer thoughts and prayers for your lungs, you fucking bum. Oh, man. How are you doing, um, uh, I'm doing all right, man. Uh, yeah, same. We've had a little bit of a, uh, a little spate of, of better air quality. Um, so just, yeah, trying to enjoy the small things, Dave. It's about the small things that we yes. enjoy. Um, so doing all right. It's been a, a very interesting week in our country, of course, but also like in the world of rap music. Um, as we record this today, uh, Jay Electronica's uh, previously shelved treasure chested album <laughs> uh, leaked. This 10 year old piece of work uh, finally kind of leaked onto the internet. Uh, yeah. I have not heard it, Dave. You had a chance to check it out. What are your, what are your thoughts on the, on the um, new old Jay Electronica? I thought it was incredible. Um, sonically, the only, the only things that I kind of had some issue with was um, some of the tracks have like one minute long intros and it's, it's a handful of them. But then, you know, once, once it goes into the song, it's incredible. His writing is incredible. Um, I would say about a handful of those songs on the album, maybe five of them or so, have been, on the, have been floating around the internet for a while. But, um, you know, there's lots of collabs on there. There's a song where he raps over... Um, Serge Gainsbourg, which wow. I mean, I don't know if you know me, but it's like, it's that kind of like, rock. yeah, that's like, it couldn't be any more perfect. And he does it sort of a la Ghostface style, where Ghostface just oh, raps over a song. Over the whole track. Yeah. So okay. it, it, it works very well. Um, I think, it, you know, it's, uh, it says something that, you know, Jay Alec can drop something that he's been kind of, that's just been in his pocket for 10 years. And it's what a flex, well. bro. I know. Yeah. What a flex. Absolutely. Bro. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, um, that's just crazy. I mean, this year, this year, dude has dropped two albums and um, it's pretty crazy, man. I, so I, these are the end times it. then. That's, that's right, what you're saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that the apocalypse is upon us. JLX drops uh, two records. It's interesting because just kind of following the conversation on Twitter, he is adamant that he didn't even want this to happen, but is also kind of like basking in right. the universal praise of it, which I think is interesting. Like, I didn't want this to come out, but you guys love it, and I love you guys. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> right, right, totally. He's always rapping about shockers and shit anyway, so I yeah, think... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, spiritual dude. Uh, yeah, all of this is well with the universe right now, so I'm glad 
I'm glad his release dates um, align with the cosmos. Yeah, exactly. exactly. When <laughs> Haley's comment comes back, we'll get another, we'll get another JLX drop. Uh, yeah, another another new record that that just came out um, last Friday, which was like a big record release, was mm -hmm. uh, "Sharecropper's Daughter" by Saw Rock. Yes, uh, yes. Who we had the the pleasure of sitting down with and chopping it up with on this on this episode. Um, it's a super great thoughtful uh interview um that she gives so we're gonna get into that in a little bit but the first interview we have um is another uh, sit down where we talk to a hip-hop writer and it's exciting because there's like there's hella hip-hop writers yeah they're and and it's not just like oh like five out of the seven are interns it's like we can, there's some legit journalists out right now doing things that are substantive and we're really glad to get them on board and get a moment at their time. And um, with Kathy here, um, she's had a long history in journalism. She wrote that book with um, P from uh, Mob Deep, of course, uh, the Prodigy yeah. book, um, uh, Commissary Kitchen, Kitchen, I believe it's yeah. called. Yeah. Yep. So um, it was great to have her on board. And, you know, it aligns with um, the great Saw Rock's new album and, you know, everything that she's doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we were we were fortunate to be able to to catch up with Kathy Ian Dolly. Her book, uh, "God Save the Queens," has been out in hardcover for a while. Comes out in paperback uh, <clears throat> on November tenth. Um, and so yeah, we just kind of talked about the history of of women in hip hop. Mm -hmm. So here is our interview with author journalist Kathy Ian Dolly. Dad Bod Rap Pod back again. Another dope episode with interviews with people who are moving and shaking hip hop culture. Uh, today is no different. We have joining us in Zoom, Kathy Yandoli, uh, author who just wrote a new book. Not, not new, but it came out last year called God Save the Queens. Uh, it's going to be released in paperback coming up in November. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, we're surviving here. Um, <laughs> had a chance. I'm, I'm not going to front like I read the whole book, but I had a chance to read a couple chapters of your book. Um, it, it's such an engaging premise. Super dope. Um, got a couple questions about it. I wanted to kind of start at, at where you start in the beginning um, and talking about the first in terms of the first women uh, to make their imprint and how problematic that term is a little bit of, of claiming to be the first. Um, I wanted to, to ask you if you could talk a little bit about um, the legacy and the work of Mercedes Ladies, which is a group we don't hear about a lot when we talk about kind of the canon of hip hop history, but um, they definitely made an imprint and uh, I found that section in your book to be really fascinating. So I just wanted to see if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, the Mercedes ladies, um, they were just a fantastic group that I feel like were caught in this um, transitional period in the beginning of hip hop where, you know, 
artists were were doing their things at like jams and and, and throwing shows and being at parties and, and you know party rocking and everything but didn't quite make it to the recorded music part mm-hmm. of hip-hop's history mm-hmm. and i feel like that's where mercedes ladies kind of get um lost in the shuffle when in reality um you know they're part of uh hip- hip-hop's backbone right mm-hmm. um you know the combination of djs and mcs in the group you know they they laid out a foundation that a lot of other female hip-hop artists followed and even their aesthetic like have how they dressed and just the whole matching element and like the crew element the mercedes ladies uh, what you usually had back then was a bunch of guys and like one woman or mm-hmm. you know um a, a, like one female mc and her dj that would like later happen you know mm-hmm. but with the mercedes ladies you're talking about an all-female crew and the interesting part about them is they were a prime example of what happened when skills started to their, uh, the skills of female artists um, started to intimidate the guys. Mm. And you're talking about a time period, and I think we we forget this so much, where most of your pioneers were between 14 to 17 years old, right? <laughs> like you're talking like little kids essentially, and the kind of stunts that they pulled were like, you know, unplugging studio, um, unplugging stereo equipment at a party or, you know, um, when you're doing like the outside jams, um, guys would be able to like climb fences and, and jump over whatever's and, and plug stuff in. And, you know, Baby D from the Mercedes ladies told me this uh, really interesting story, you know, of how um, when um, they were about to perform, the equipment was like unplugged and knobs were turned down mm-hmm. just to try to make it more difficult to perform. And they had so many hurdles in front of them. And, and, and yeah, if we think. To um, women in hip hop, you know, decades later, but when you're talking about a bunch of teenagers just really trying to get put on, anything in the way is, is literally something in the way, but they were incredibly talented and incredibly skilled. And I think that not enough credit is given to them. And I was just really happy to be able to talk about them in, in the book. That's so dope. That's so dope. Um, you know, I wanted to briefly mention Roxanne Chante because, you know, besides us just all being big fans of hers and she's been on the program as well. I just have a little quick two part question for you. One, just as a fan, uh, when did you first hear her music and when did she first sort of enter your consciousness? And two, would you mind just kind of letting people know, you know, where her significance and place in the whole chronology of everything is? Absolutely. So, so Shantae, um, my experience with Roxanne Shantae in terms of like being a fan, um, absolutely without a doubt started with Roxanne's Revenge, but it was one of those things where I, I was, I, I discovered it later on, right? I discovered Shantae's aesthetic and image before I actually experienced her music. Mm. Because when I was just learning about hip hop and, and I, was, I was coming into my own and, and, and really learning, you know, about it and starting to really love it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I just remember the photo Jeanette Beckman took of her you know, against the wall in her tracksuit with the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the parking garage sign behind her. And 
I just, that image would always stay in my mind, you know, the, her as, as a person. And then of course, um, the, the album cover where she's at or single cover where she's tapping gloves with, um, Sparky D. And as I started to make my way backwards and I learned about the whole situation with UTFO and just what Shantae did. And then obviously hearing Roxanne's revenge and the way she just kind of slammed them. <laughs> that was the moment that I was like, wow. And what, what Shantae brought to hip hop was she was the first battle rapper, mm-hmm. real battle rapper. You know, um, before Shantae, so much of the battle sequences that were happening in hip hop were MCs addressing the crowd, mm-hmm. but not really addressing their opponent. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're out there going, they're out there selling themselves to the audience. That was what the essentially what a battle was at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Was was talking about I'm fresh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this and this and this and this. That's me. Cut to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm this and this and this and this and this and this and this. That's me. And Shantae <laughs> took the mic, addressed the audience, turned around and said, "And now you, busy bee." <laughs> <laughs> the thing that in doing that, she made it an actual battle. It wasn't you know, a talent show at that point. Mm. And she was one of the first artists to curse in battles. Mm. And you're talking about a teenager. Embraces, no less, right? (laughs) And I think that one of the most horrible things to happen, um, even at that point in her career, was um, Curtis Blow lowballing her for those same things that became the structure of battle rap, right? Mm. You know, he gave her, he gave her a four when everyone else was giving her nines and tens. Um, and he did it because she was cursing and he felt like she was bringing hip hop in a direction that he wasn't quite comfortable with. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned in my book, like just right before that battle, he was out in LA judging another battle where an artist was cursing and demeaning women and all this stuff. And he wanted to give that artist a four, but he couldn't because he was afraid he wasn't in, in on his own turf. So mm-hmm. he gave that artist a high score, which ultimately set that artist's entire career. And that artist was Ice-T. Mm, crazy. So he came back to New York and it was almost like writing a wrong in his mind. Oh. But, but in doing so, cut off what could have been really the the turning point in hip hop and I, and I think about what would have happened if um Shantae won that battle right, right. I, mean, had, I had won the most important rap battle at the time um what would have happened how how would how would the obstacles have changed for women mm-hmm. would there have been as many obstacles right um and when you think about that it's 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 bizarre because then you wouldn't have even really needed my book at that point right (laughs) Um, but but that moment just it it didn't change everything it just made sure it stayed the same Mm. okay okay uh you you've obviously done some really extensive research for this book and i'm I'm kind of wondering, like, when did the, the seed for this begin for you? Like, when did you first 
get the idea and then if you could just talk a little bit about the process i know you've talked you talked to a bunch of like hip-hop legends for this book like what was the the seed for it and how did it come together so i actually wanted to do a book on women in hip-hop 10 years prior and um initially it was one of those situations where trying to sell that book in 2009 mm. you know was useless right it was it was next to impossible um i was told by publishers you know um there's a book called girls like us which is about um joni mitchell carol king and carly simon like three um you know singer songwriter female singer songwriters and um mm -hmm. what their journey was and how it all intersected and stuff and i was told to like figure out who my three were right mm. and you know it was toying with you know lauren hill was obviously a definite but it's like do you put like a queen latifah and then do you put a little kim and then is that is that where the story ends like how do you just what what do you do with that how do you make it a period piece like do you do you stop in the 90s um and it's just hard it was, it was difficult and this was like really moments before Nicki minaj blew up and at that point in time, had I sold that book in like 2010, Nicki Minaj would have been number three, you know? Mm. Um, but instead I kind of, you know, set it to the side and, and just kept going. And, and during the 10 years in between trying to sell this, the first, that book um, and writing this one, I just made, you know, documenting women in hip hop my beat more than ever, right? Mm. Like, um, I just was, you know, from a historical standpoint, covering everything that happened in women in hip, with women in hip hop from the early aughts back to the 70s and 80s, or profiling um, influential women in hip hop from that point on. You know, I, I was able to, you know, speak with Lil' Kim and Remy Ma and Nicki and, you know, um, but then also um, <clears throat> like LaKaley 47 mm -hmm. and um, artists um, who were really, moving the needle and um and even like later like city girls and cash doll and dreezy and getting to get a clear understanding something that i wouldn't have had if mm -hmm. i did do the book mm -hmm. in 2009 right so um at the point when i actually got the book deal i was supposed to be doing a female with one you know a, a really um big you know female rapper and um it ended up not working out and you know i was i was kind of heartbroken but i was going back and forth with my agent and you know he was like saying to me there's not another book that you're you're trying to do because um at this point i had just come off uh doing commissary kitchen with prodigy mm. and then losing him less than a year later right mm. so in trying to figure out like what was going to be that next book that i would do because honestly p and i had like four other books planned so yeah, when you're when you're in that space where you're now feeling lost because i thought like i had like i had my career mapped based right. upon the stories that prodigy wanted to tell mm -hmm. after the prison cookbook memoir so right. you know um i kind of this the the female rapper memoir kind of fell in my lap and i was like okay so this is this is it this is going to be the thing and then when that didn't happen i was like man so my agent said to me there's not another book that you've been trying to write. And I was like, well, you know, like for the last 10 years, I've really wanted to do a book on women in hip hop. And he's like, that's your book, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was really crazy how so much had changed by the time that book, 
I was taking meetings uh, with publishers because they weren't even talking about Nikki at that point. They like, it was like Nikki's whole 10 years were like just a, another, a part of history. They were just all focused on Cardi B at that point, right? Because mm. I, I sold that book around Bodak Yellow time. So oh, okay. I'm like, okay. wow, okay. And then by the time I finished the book, Cardi was already a part of the, like the waves were now, we're, we're now on Megan, right? Mm -hmm. And just to see that undercurrent, just it, it was so different from what the 70s, 80s and 90s had experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Even in 2000s. So being able to, I was documenting that in real time. I wrote the book right up to, I, I was writing, I was still writing that book when I was watching Meg um, do her cypher rap um, for freshman cover. Yeah. No, for, uh, for Double XL, yeah, for the freshman cover. So I'm sitting here, I, I, I'm, I was writing up to the minute because I was like, if I don't get this, if I don't time this right, mm. You know, my publisher initially wanted me to end on Cardi and I initially did, you know, my, I, I finished that book in January. And then by the time I picked it back up to work on my edits, I was like, I can't not put Megan Thee Stallion in here. Yeah. And um, right. I was fortunate enough to talk to Meg for my book and she was able to close my book. And, you know, we had both gone through really traumatic moments in our lives in that, in that chunk of time from when I, um, I finished the book and from when I saw her, uh, with the double XL uh, freshman cover because we both lost our mothers back to back. Mm. So getting to talk to her while she was on the precipice of like doing something massive and I was, it was like a weird moment. It, like it was, it was a beautiful moment, but it was also really terrible, right? But right. getting to have her close out that book meant so much that even now when the paperback drops in November, you're gonna read it really up to the date like I wrote it yesterday. That's dope. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, you know, I wanted to just briefly jump around a little bit because you mentioned earlier about the about um, Shantae's trajectory possibly changing because of Curtis Blow and things like that. And you know, uh, I was going over um, the section in the book regarding TLC, and mm -hmm. you know, I always feel like um, Lisa Lefty Lopez is always sort of left off these. Yeah. Uh, and you know and perhaps it was because of the un untimely death but or perhaps because she was in an r &B group right and she was the rapper or whatnot but can you touch a little bit on her for the people because I grew up with her music so you know I'm, I'm a fan and I just find it interesting that she's sort of marginalized a little bit yeah I like to call left eye a combination of Chuck D and Flavor Flav mm. Mm. that's, that's, that's how great. I I describe her because mm. What TLC did with their first album, um, they broke such ground and the importance of what they were talking about so slept on mm -hmm. because they focused on Baby, 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 the R&B sure. song of the album. Right. And these girls were talking about practicing safe sex. They were talking about, you know, mm -hmm. AIDS. They were talking about the Tawana Brawley rape trial. Like, they were talking about real issues. They were also doing things like speaking about sex in a way that was free but wasn't like delving in in a point where it was like drenched in sexuality as much mm -hmm. as they were talking about sex like mm. um and talking about what they wanted from sex right mm. and i think that was a very clever approach given 
the parameters they were working with in 1992, which was the year of the woman, but also the biggest year of um, sexual assaults and um, mm. just all of what was going on for women during that time period. So you have girls in baggy clothes wearing and condoms on them talking about practicing safe sex, but also practicing, um, talking about the things that they want in a bedroom and what they don't mm -hmm. want. And left eye was the mouthpiece for that group, right? She was so lyrically skilled Mm -hmm. She came up through the ranks of hip-hop. She was a hip-hop dancer, um, but she was also a strong lyricist. And I think when you look at the trajectory of Lisa Lopez outside of her group mm -hmm. and how she evolved up until the moment of that horrible car van crash mm -hmm. in Honduras, right? When you think about how she evolved as a human and all of the things she could have done as a lyricist, you can't discount her because she came from an R&B group, mm, right? Right. Um, and you think about all the things that Left Eye didn't get to do as part of TLC. I mean, the thing that we remember the most about Waterfalls is her rap, yeah. you know? I seen a rainbow <laughs> yesterday. When you listen on the radio, they take out that rap. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Rap is the heart of the song. Yeah. Or with no scrubs, they had to add a rap, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think because the music industry had a plan for TLC, but Left Eye had a plan for herself, mm -hmm. that's why they, they could never see eye to eye. And, you know, I, I, um, I said, uh, there, there's like this whole, um, thing that, you know, Left Eye touched upon it, but then like, you know, I, I wrote about it a little bit that was it like, was it the music industry deciding she was crazy or did the music industry drive her crazy, mm. right? <laughs> because she was labeled the loose cannon, but was it all of the circumstances to which she had to endure the reasons right. why that cannon became loose, right? Right, right. So, you know, when, when you think about all of that and you also just place it within the context of like, hip hop and, and what happened in the years that followed. Like so much, so many artists have to thank Left Eye for their style and their delivery mm -hmm. and their punchlines and, and their uh, braveness and, you know, boldness. And I always talk about this one rap um, on the Panther soundtrack called Freedom um, from the movie about the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Left Eye does this thing, you know, she had the, um, the eagle's tattoo on her arm. Is it a tattoo? Yeah, I think it's the eagle's, right? From her um, her ex. Mm. Oh, Falcons. Falcons. Falcons, Falcons. Yep. So um, she has this part of the video and um, she's talking about how, um, you know, you can, you can, you know, kill black people, but it's illegal to kill a, a, a bald eagle. Mm. And then she has she says, um, you know, a bird is never more important than my people. I guess we didn't need him. So I took away his freedom and she lifts up her arm. And it's like, you so, know, yeah. When you think about those things of like, she was talking about, you know, um, she, she mentions like, you know, she's like, I, I tend to think of Rosa, how, um, how uh, you had to take a seat to take a stand. Like the things that like she was talking about and the points that she was making, you could pick up that rhyme and you could drop it in 2020. And it says a lot about society, but it also says a lot about left eye. Right. Yeah. Totally. Man, um, that, 
it, it's there's so many female voices. Your book does such a great job of kind of like cataloging all these different female voices um, throughout the history of hip hop. As as we kind of wrap up here, can you can you talk to us about female voices that you're excited about? I know you said you ended up you ended off on Meg in your book, and she's definitely on on the largest scale, which is great to see. Um, who are, who are some new voices that you're checking for and that you're excited about going into the future? You know, I got to be honest. I um I was thinking about this the other day, and um, I'm not to be like whatever, but I'm excited for so many, right? But I gotta say, I I have been consistently impressed lately with uh, Mulatto. Like okay. Mulatto, okay. Mm-hmm. Mulatto has a spirit of the South that I haven't felt since Gangsta Boo and Mia X and mm-hmm. LaChat. Right. Okay. Like, I feel like she's um, she's really embodying um, this kind of like the, the her whole Queen of the South um, project. I has been getting, you know, major, major burn from me because I just mm-hmm. I think she's, I think she's great. Um, cool. You know, I love uh, man. It's, it's really it's hard because there's so many different artists right now. And um it was really cool uh, that, you know, you spoke with Saw Rock, like, mm-hmm. like amazing, amazing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's great that we're at a point now. And of course, I mean, you know, she's, she's you know, veteran status at this point, but I can't wait for the next project that Rhapsody's um, bringing. Mm. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. totally. Like, just, you know, I love Chica. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I also I also love Cash Doll, and I um, you know I love Dreezy. I, I I'm so happy that we're at a point again. You know, and I, I remember I, I think about the '90s, right, where you know my the the music in rotation for me was Lauren Hill, Rod Digga, Little Kim, and Foxy Brown, and I'm so excited that we can take that those kinds of like archetypes and we can drop them in 2020, and almost like get the same vibe right mm-hmm. where we can be we can exist in a world right now where megan the stallion and rhapsody are both killing it like that's totally. we're we're back we're back where we started but in the best way possible that's that's so that's so dope uh, thank you so much for coming on the program everybody god save the queens is out right now hardcover for your coffee table if you're broke like me paperback coming out November 10th. Uh, Kathy, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our interview with Kathy Andoli. We are fortunate to have had her time, man. Totally, totally. Shout out to Kathy. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, The book's great. Um, Again, I mean, I didn't get to read the entire book, but I'm gonna because, uh, you know, what I checked out, I I definitely loved. And that history is super important. And to to have it laid out so thoughtfully 
you know, with all the research that she did and yes. her colorful writing style, um, it's great. So that was great. Thank you again, Kathy. And I hope it's a good bridge to our upcoming Saw Rock interview. Absolutely. Um, another, another thoughtful, uh, you know, woman in the hip hop game, giving us some gems. So without further ado, this is our interview with Washington DC rapper, Saw Rock. Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we bring you an interview with someone who's moving and shaping culture. This week is no different. In Zoom, we are joined by Sa Rock. How's it going? It's going wonderful. Yeah, yeah, we out here in the A, just trying to rap okay. through this thing and, and uh, put out great music at the same time. Mm, I heard that. Uh, You've got a new album coming out on Friday, October 2nd, Sharecropper's Daughter. But I wanted to, to kind of go back a little bit um, and ask you about what are some of your initial influences? I know you're from the D.C. area. Um, I'm from where, DC. Were you? I'm not from the D.C. area. I'm from D.C. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I'm Sorry. not the M or the V. I'm from the D. She said, I'm, I'm not the D.C. <laughs> Chocolate City native, Sarak is They're here. Right. Um, Okay. <laughs> I, I just, Damone, before you go on, I have to jump in here. Uh, we need like a field trip out there because I don't know if you remember doing this with Odyssey. Like we, you were like, he, you're from DC. He's like, nope, PG County. Nope, nope. Yeah, I'm very yeah, clear, yeah, PG yeah. County. Like the, these territorial lines are very clearly yeah. gone. And we clearly <laughs> do not understand them. <laughs> it's a serious thing. <laughs> okay, okay. We're, we're gonna get the map out, but we, we, do, we do know DC. You are from DC. Yeah. How did, who influenced you? What made you want to kind of get started? And were those local influences or were you kind of looking elsewhere uh, when you first started as an MC? Um, you know, I've had, I have a number of like eclectic influences and I don't think that they all are hip hop artists. They're all just artists who've inspired me. Um, because, you know, just when I grew up, I had a wide variety of influences, including Go-Go artists, which is, you right. know, Go-Go is a music right. native to DC. And, um, and, and I was heavy into like the alt-rock scene and, okay. and jazz and spoken word and all that kind of stuff too. So like all of this stuff just kind of plays into um, how I create music and how I relate through my music. Um, but as far as like hip hop artists, um, I feel like KRS-One was a huge influence on me. Um, Black Thought, Lauryn Hill, mm -hmm. 3000, <laughs> um, people like uh, Busta, Pharrell Munch. Um, just a lot of, I feel like a lot of the, the MCs that really influenced me are ones that were, have just this, um, this incredible use of language you know, mm. that can kind of tell these stories and articulate stories through their words. And I love, because I'm like a really big reader and I love like, just like the use of language in like really creative ways. 
Um, and people with like really powerful voices, they really, mm -hmm. really influence me. Um, so I think um, probably can can see that. Busta for real, mm -hmm. like Busta for me, like was a huge influence in my like, when I go crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like on whether, you know, on a song or like just when I'm performing, like when I just, when the energy is like all the way up here, like I've always admired that about Busta. Like he make you want to jump out your seat and dive off stage. Like that's, that's what I was bringing, you know, when I first started and still kind of channel, you know, these days too. Dope, dope. Okay. Um, you know, I, I wanted to take it back to the beginning just a little bit. Um, I first heard of you on that cut with Brother Ali um, a couple years ago, a few years ago. And I just, I just wanted to know sort of how you linked up with Rhyme Sayers and when did Rhyme Sayers, the, the label, enter your consciousness as a music listener? Um, really, they, they reached out to me in um, 2015 to perform mm. at Soundset. And to be mm. completely honest, that was the first time I'd ever heard of them. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, um, and the first time I'd ever heard of Soundset, really. And so it was exciting once I started like looking them up and seeing like the artists that they had on the label. Like I was familiar, you know, slightly familiar with Brother Ali, familiar with Evidence from Dilated Peoples and, you know, MF Doom and um, those artists. But I really got a chance to kind of look at like the culture and the movement that they kind of developed when I got to Minneapolis and saw like experienced sound set and performed at sound set. Mm. And um, we were able to, I was able to meet with the label and, you know, meet with everybody then. And then shortly after we started talks about like perhaps signing or doing a joint venture together. Mm. Okay. Okay. I read, I think maybe on Twitter, um, you had had quite an extensive independent career before that. I, if, if I'm misquoting you, tell me, but I think you might have said you had 13 projects before that ever came to be. Like, can you tell people a little bit of that story and like what, what your independent grind had been like? Well, this will be my 13th project. Okay. This year, order. But um, yeah, I, I really, I mean, I was, I, I kind of stumbled upon the hip hop thing. Um, I was just a lost soul wandering, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. College dropout, all that, mm. you know, and uh, I ended up meeting with Soul Messiah, who's like my current DJ producer. And uh, he was doing a lot of work in Atlanta with local artists. And he had done a lot of work with Dallas Austin and worked with like, you know, several notable artists like in the A and beyond. And uh, when I met him, he, had, he, were, he was working with a couple of groups. He was working with Nappy Roots at the time. So like, I was all like excited about that and like, you know, listening to beats of, of his in the studio and stuff and just getting like, just inspired creatively. And I'd never spit before. Like, you know, of course, everybody who's a, a hip hop head, like they've fumbled through trying to fake freestyle and stuff like that. And um, I did do that, but I was terrible. So um, <laughs> I won't count that. <laughs> but, I always like wrote like poetry and stuff like that. So okay. when I was in the studio with him, um, just kind of like playing around, listening to beats, I wanted to see how I sounded recording one of my poems to one of his beats. Mm. And, um, and when I recorded it, he was surprised. Like he was shockingly surprised because I don't think I was good, but he has like these, this, this um, measurement for like what, is potential for an MC. And he was like, whoa, you were like able to ride the beat. And that's 
that's surprising for someone who's like a novice to this thing. Like usually like there's a lag or like just like this awkward, you know, kind of fumbling over a beat. And I was able to like, you know, just kind of ride the beat. And he was like, hmm. And plus, you know, I'm, I am a writer. So like the, the poetry was solid. Um, so he was like, hmm, let's see, you know, let's see what else you can do. Cause he had worked with um, a female artist before. He had, there was a local artist of a local group called Georgia, Georgia Brown um, that he had worked with. And um, so he, he, he loved and appreciated women MCs and stuff. So he was like, okay, let me, let me see what else you can do. So we recorded another song and another song. And it ended up becoming this, my first EP, Astral Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there was a huge independent hip hop community in Atlanta. Like this was popping off at the same time that trap music and all that was popping. But there was this huge like underground community of like transplants from New York and transplants from Chicago and Detroit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And everybody was really active in putting on shows and like not working through promoters at all. Like, you know, doing monthly events, hosting monthly events and all of these kind of intersected with like the whole young trap scene um you know i don't know if you guys are familiar with like fadia kadir like um mm-hmm. uh, she worked mm-hmm. at complex for a while whatever but mm-hmm. she was doing like her um broken bougie parties and like like a lot of that stuff in the the mcs intersected there was a lot of mm-hmm. like local atlanta artists and stuff so we're constantly doing projects doing shows and all of that and i was lucky enough to start my career with all of these people who had been rhyming for some time people who were you know, just kind of like innovators in the game. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that that, me having to catch up, um, mm-hmm. that started, like that spearheaded me, like making these, dropping these albums pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about your background as a poet and, and kind of transferring that into the rap game, um, which, you know, some have done. What's the biggest difference in, in your mind to doing a, uh, spoken word poetry versus rhyming, rhyming? Um, I feel like, I think um, rhythm and timing, like the rhythm is just different. Mm. Whereas you can have kind of more, you can be more easy with spoken word. Um, there's a sharpness that I feel like um, is necessary for you to like kind of punctuate beats and stuff like that. Um, and I think that there's a different way that you tell stories through emceeing versus poetry. There, mm. There's a fluidity that can happen in poetry that doesn't have to have, um, there's not like this, you know, you gotta do, you know, 16 bars, like the measures are different <laughs> and all of that. Um, so, and you can do a long, at, can I curse on this? Absolutely, please. <laughs> You can do, you know, a long ass spoken word piece, but, you know, that doesn't translate when it comes to hip hop because you have to, you know, vary your flows and like got to put a hook in there. And it took me a long time for me to get that, like Mm. trying to figure out how to write a hook. Mm. So I was the first one who taught me what a 16 was and how to like stop doing 40 plus bars, (laughs) you know. Get that thing down to a 16, get that thing down to 50 to one minute, you know, 50 seconds to one, one minute and like figuring out hooks. Cause I would just do songs and then just like, because I didn't know how to write hooks, he would like substitute with like doing scratches and stuff on the hook, sure. which is cool sometimes. But like, if you want to be, have a sustainable career in this thing, you got to learn that part of it, that song writing part of it. 
Mm-hmm. Dope. Well, you know, um, speaking of um, songs, and you, you mentioned evidence a little bit earlier. Um, Forever, I want to say congratulations. It has like 4 million plus views on YouTube. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that song came together and the video as well? Because it's, you know, it's blowing up and I think it's a good representation for people who've never really heard of you, but have just saw, who just came across it. Yeah. Um, so that song was really, you know, at the risk of sounding like mushy or whatever. Um, that song was really like written as really a love letter to my younger self, mm. you know, myself who was not, sure of who she was, you know, did, was believed that, you know, I believed that I wasn't pretty. I was comparing myself to these societal standards of what beauty was, of what, you know, the, the um, com- trying to conform to these like physical body standards, um, you know, and then seeing myself, a young, young person looking for myself in these magazines and not seeing it mm. and um, just feeling inadequate. Mm. So, I feel like at the time I was kind of thinking, reflecting back on that experience and thinking about like how social media kind of, um, uh, kind of, kind of fosters that, that way of thinking because mm-hmm. we're comparing ourselves to these kind of curated, um, um, these curated like little pictures and, and, and moments in people's lives that are often you know, fabricated or embellished, you know, these photoshopped images and, and you know, uh, nip tuck, you know, celebrities <laughs> or whatever. And we're feeling inadequate. And so I feel like I needed to create something to make people feel like they were just perfect the way that they were. And I mm. needed that message at the time and I didn't have it. So I was like, I want to create something that marries like real MCM, but also has a message and you know, that can resonate with people on a deeper level. Mm, perfect. Thank you. Great answer. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk about your your rhymes. I mean, you, you're, you're a serious spitter. Like every time I see you or hear a song, I'm like, I would love to know how much rewriting happens. Um, and uh, like, how are your, are your verses labored over? And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I guess I just want to talk a little bit or have you please tell us a little bit about your process, but I hate asking the question that way. I guess I'd, I'd like to know how we end up with such refined and intricate verses. Um, you know, that quote, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very, like, there are times when I agonize over writing. And, you know, a lot of people don't like to say that because they want it to seem like flawless. Oh, I'm Jay-Z. I go on the beat. But I go on the beat. <laughs> I just spit off the top. Like, no, but like right. for serious lyricists, I feel like we are, are incredibly careful about what we put out into the world. So there's a constant editing process. Um, there's a constant, like, just gazing over like okay is this how i want to say it like is this how i want to intro this thing or could i say this better like mm. would it be super dope if i made this like you know have this double triple entendre in the right like what like so yeah like it is it can be agonizing at times other times you know i can pop a little yerba mate and and, and bust it out but um it really just depends it really just depends but it, it is um i have this story that i tell uh, uh, Black Daughters on the album and uh, we recorded the song in the studio 
And because I'm not used to like collabing with people and doing writing in the studio, I'm used to being two o'clock in the morning in my mismatched pajamas in the the closet, like writing Um, and having the leisure of taking my time. And we had like two days to be in the studio and couple that with the arguably the goat sitting Mm -hmm. next to you Mm -hmm. writing rhymes. So like, I remember just having these pep talks to myself, like you cannot take a million hours. Like this man is like looking at you, like you gotta get it together. So like, there are moments like that where I have to like, uh, just just tell myself that I have like what I'm doing, like just constantly like second guessing is this dope. Um, mm. isn't necessary because I am dope. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like I had to, I had literally had to do that to get through that. Cause I'm sitting, I'm, he's in the studio laughing, telling jokes, drinking, whatever. I'm outside <laughs> in the hallway with like boxes of like studio equipment, like trying to write all paranoid. But like when all was said and done, he's, you know, he gave me the, the green light. Like, oh, okay. That's how you feel. All right. All right. We're going to do this. You know? Um, so yeah, that's like so it, it, it's just a matter of just like finally putting the lid on the editing. Like, okay, you got it. This is good. <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. Uh, in in a in you have many projects that have been put out as we spoke about, and there's a lot of like invoking spiritual, religious, sometimes biblical references. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, how and why those things show up in your work? Um, and like, when did you make that decision to have that be such a, a visible part of, of what you do? You know, I don't, it wasn't a decision. Um, I feel like me, what I do as an MC is, is an extension of who I am as a person. Um, there isn't this performative aspect to who I am Mm. Um, as an MC. It's just really kind of happens naturally. So like I grew up in a household where I had the Bible on the uh, on the bookshelf, the Quran on the bookshelf and a book about transcendental meditation. And Mm. then I went to a school where like um, uh, West African spiritualities were practiced and we were taught about Egyptian, you know, spirituality and cosmology and all of that. So like all of this stuff just kind of um, uh, edified me at a very early age and um, it's you know what I carry with me and um, for me I think when I started rhyming I just wanted to offer a different perspective mm. I didn't want to rhyme by no regular shit <laughs> I was like how can I you know incorporate this because to me, like the spiritual path and my spiritual journey is a, a huge part of who I am. So, and I'm super into like sci-fi. I'm super into all of that stuff. So I wanted to fold that into my work, um, you know, in the early, early stages of, of my career. And it was a, a lane that wasn't really present, you know, mm-hmm. save for people like J Electronica, you know. Sure. But, you know, there wasn't a woman who was really doing that. Um, at the time. So yeah, I just wanted to do something that was was not, um, wasn't regular, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reflected another side of uh, who I was. So, so you've talked a little bit about um, kind of the work being reflection of yourself and, and in a way kind of carving your own lane. Now I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to say first, I don't, I'm not pitching this as like Sarak versus 
these other folks. I'm just trying to get kind of where your head is at. Uh, <laughs> so, so especially as as a woman in hip hop, which is is not an easy is not an easy gig historically because men are terrible. Um, I wouldn't say that. How, <laughs> you know what I mean by that. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the there is kind of a resurgence or an emergence of a lot of a lot more female voices in the genre, but most of them do, at least on a you know more mainstream level, occupy a certain lane, which is kind of diametrically opposed to it or seemingly to the lane that you occupy, right? So I, I wonder, I wonder kind of like, what is your take? There was a huge controversy about Megan and uh, Cardi B's song and what that meant and all the implications of that. I wonder how an MC as yourself looks at that as a woman in hip hop. Um, and what, what kind of goes on in your head as you're watching this, this kind of thing unfold? My take is that, you know, I just want us to have a more vast reflection of women's voices and women's representation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is art. You know, we can feel free to express ourselves in, with, in whatever way we see fit. Um, I don't believe in censorship in any way, shape or form. I just feel like, um, why not, you know, enlarge the platform so that there are more stories being told there are more um just kind of representations of women being visible being supported being pushed that mm. there's something wrong with the system mm. when there's only one point of view being represented you know mm. and mm. then it starts to look like an agenda a little bit you know mm. when mm. you know in in many different ways um, because we've already, you know, we're already marginalized as women in the broader society. And then when it comes to this culture, we're marginalized even further. We're offered less resources and less visibility. And so we're having to fight for this, like, idea that only one woman can sit on the throne. Mm. And then mm. add to that, only one type of woman can sit on the right. throne. You mm. know, so... I just, I'm just really a proponent of the, there being myriad uh, reflections of women, like the girl next door, you know, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. space age hippie chick who's talking about, you know, uh, meditation and, and, you know, aliens and shit, you know, the, the, the woman who's free talking freely talking about her sexuality everybody can we can we get all because when you see men in hip-hop you get all of that right you know you're able to get right. you're able to get a jay-z you're able to get a jay electronica a j cole a little baby like we see yeah. all of that and it's no question you know mm -hmm. there's no like criticism of oh we always see this or we always see that you know so yeah i just want uh just a diverse representation so we can all eat so we can all speak to our base and we can all tell our stories. Perfect, perfect, thank you. Well, you know, sort of on that tangent, um, I know that you were on tour with Rhapsody and I just wanted to touch on that, you know, her as your peer and you mentioned myriad reflections of, of um, styles and art and just the persona. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about that experience and perhaps how you guys strengthen one, each other, uh, one another? That was really dope. Um, she reached out to me uh, um, 
in January about mm. doing the tour. And uh, it was funny because I noticed that because she was doing the social media thing and she was like, yeah, wh who do you guys think I should take with me on tour? And I noticed like, you know, people were saying Sarah or whatever. And I was just like, hmm, that would be dope, you know, because I, mm. I respect her as an artist. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've I've actually been watching her since she was with um, she was with a group. I think they're called Cooley High. Mm. or something mm. like that out of North mm -hmm. Carolina like and I heard her on like this mixtape back like early 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 in her career and immediately I was struck by like how dope she was and um so like I, I felt that it would be a good a good fit for us to perform together and it was you know there was instantly this feeling of like kinship mm. and um we both were kind of like when I, I would I was her direct support so like it was uh, it was this feeling of, of like seamlessness in you mm. know between mm. her performance and mine and like we were both like we would both be hyping each other up and it was just really like positive and the whole Jamla squad they're like all like dope and loving and you know just mm. cool hometown folks right um, but yeah it was it was dope because a lot of her fan base and supporter group kind of reminded me of my own like a lot of young mm. people were at her shows people were bring their daughters and be you know be in the front row and i've seen that a lot like on my tours as mm. well and like young girls hype to see you know this model of an mc who they can look you know look up to and and sing the words with her and everything so it was just it was a really dope experience um dope. for sure we ended up having to cut the last show because of of covid like mm. but luckily it was only one one show but yeah, it was really, really dope. Right on. So, dope. Um, so let's, please, let's use these last couple of minutes. Tell us about the Sharecropper's Daughter. What can people expect? What are you excited about? Um, I know it's a tough time to be releasing anything, but um, please tell us, tell us about your new record. Sharecropper's Daughter um, is really a story about my journey um, and my just kind of like emergence and development as uh, as an MC, as, you know, a woman out of this experience um, that was kind of shaped and formed out of a lot of, um, a lot of trauma, I would say, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I, I call it the Sharecropper's Daughter because the, the, the album is really an exploration of, like, who I am. And one of the main ways in which I identify is, is the daughter of my father who grew up on a sharecropping farm in Jim Crow South. Um, and a lot of his stories were about like just kind of like the harrowing experiences um, in which like his his own childhood were impacted. Mm -hmm. And so like when I'm a ch when I was a child hearing that stuff, like it was just like really heavy and I didn't really I couldn't really absorb what was happening. But as an adult, as I started to reflect and reflect on my own experiences growing up in D.C., growing up in D.C., during the time where it was called the murder capital, you know, during the time where the war on drugs was happening, I was seeing the impact of that affect my community and my folks and, you know, seeing, you know, people gunned down, homies gunned down and stuff. And, um, and reflecting on how, like, even though, like, hugely, like, divergent, like, there are these familiar stories of, of Black life in America, and how these stories need to be told and how these stories are connected and how these stories in many ways haven't changed. Um, so I think that it's important now. So like you could see, you can hear the progression on the album from me like grappling with 
kind of that turmoil Mm -hmm. and coming out on the other side of that more grounded with more of an understanding of my resilience, more of an understanding of not only the hardships that came with it, but like the jewels that came out of, you know, me experiencing that, how I've grown out of that. And I think it's a, it's a a journey that a lot of people can see themselves in, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they know how to um, get through it or navigate through it or not, this, this album, can be, um, it's just almost, um, not a blueprint because everybody's experience is their own, but just like um, unearthing that, unearthing Mm. that, you know, that growth period, that growth out of, you know, these things that could possibly break us, but Mm -hmm. emerging out, emerging triumphant on the other side. So there's a lot of like dope features, like it's, it's, in many ways, it's, I feel like it's like forever, you know, I'm being real emo and like <laughs> sensitive and stuff. And, you know, just telling, exposing myself in ways that I hadn't normally, I hadn't previously done. Um, but I think it's important, especially now, you know, mm-hmm. especially when we're grappling with so much emotion and unsure of how to deal with that and unsure of how to move out of that space when necessary. You know, I feel like the album um, speaks to that. And it tells tells that story. So it's exciting. A lot of dope features. We got Black Thought on there, Styles P, Chronics, Lettucey, Saul Williams. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited yeah. about it. Nice. Okay. That that is definitely exciting. Uh Sarak, we thank you so much for spending time with us. Everybody, Sharecropper's Daughter is out on Friday, October 2nd. We hope you all pick it up. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Real so pleasure much. to talk to you. Thank yeah. you. Likewise. All right, take care. Peace. Peace. rap pod that was our interview with saw rock um super cool right so cool man um so so glad to get a chance to talk to her i mean she is so much in the lineage of you know the gene grays and the bahamadias you know and um introspective empowering lyrics and to see that thrive right now i mean it's good to see that hip-hop is splintered and you know women and rap can do all kinds of shit but it's really cool to have some really introspective worldly you know sort of uh, grounded lyrics i mean she Mm -hmm. she comes from a spoken word background and it's, it's definitely on display here um, her track with Black Thought is Flames. And um, it's, you know, it was amazing talking to her, man. Um, shout out to her and the whole Rhyme Series Collective. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I really feel like, uh, to your point, and it's a kind of piggyback on what Kathy was talking about in our first interview, um, there's just this huge breadth of, of female voices in the genre where you can have someone like Sarak and, you know, uh, you know, uh, Megan the Stallion exists right. at the same time, or a Rhapsody exists at the same time, as Kathy was saying. Right. Um, I think that's great, and I think that's that's really what we need. What I'm really happy to hear from both of our interviewees today is like, 
there's no longer this this dichotomy that uh, in Kathy's book she brings it up is this false dichotomy of sex kittens versus Nubian queens. Right. Like it's right. not that used to be the thing. It's like you could be sexy or you could be lyrical. Right. And you had right. you had to kind of pick a side, but now we're in a. I feel like we're in a in a better place with that. Um, totally. Well, it was it was like sort of like female comedians. Like they couldn't. Um, they if they were good looking, they had to be like ditzy. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. And so it's like uh, you, you have these roles now and people can kind of do whatever and the mold's been broken a bit. And so it's really good to see the acceptance on the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, uh, we're always on this program endeavoring to have more women's voices as, as part of the dialogue. And we'll continue uh, to work to bring that to you here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, shout out to uh, Stony Island Pods. Yes, sir. We rolling with the crew. New addition to Stony Island Pods. Want to shout out um, Sean Kantrowitz. And uh, he has the program, him and Steve Wonder have the program, The Questions, which if you remember from Dave's stellar performance on The Questions <laughs> on IG Live, uh, they, did, they were doing a hip-hop trivia show. They have a new show coming out on Stony Island called well, I, uh, Can't Knock the Shuffle. Right, but I believe it's just Sean. I think it's a Sean solo endeavor. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, um, the, the, promo's on, the promo is on Twitter and on social media, and, and we've yeah. been hyping it up. Uh, it's a fantastic addition. Couldn't, ha couldn't have happened to a nicer person. Yeah. And it's just, it's sort of like a perfect alignment with what Stony Island is doing yeah. and what Mike Eagle is spearheading. Um, it's great, man. It's great to see everything blossom, and we're just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, man, it's it's good company to to be in. Um, so yeah, I know I'm excited about it. Uh, Can't knock the shuffle, which the concept is they have uh, bring on different artists and then pick a random track from their catalog and ask them to talk about it. Um, again, genius. I love the concept. Love what right. Sean and them are doing. So shout out to them. Shout out to uh, to Stony Island. Uh, we are chugging along here dad bod rap pod uh the audience is growing the energy is growing people are sending us uh fan made artwork which right, i think is, right. is super dope um, super dope it doesn't get sort of more endearing than that i mean obviously we all want to monetize but like getting artwork from a listener is so dope dude yeah. it's it's yeah it's priceless it's priceless really yeah so we we super appreciate everybody that's kind of been vibing with us and uh you know, continue to listen and tell their friends about it. Um, we are available on all the places where you get your podcast content, whether that be Apple Music, Google. No, Google Play is dead. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> if you're like one of the 12 Google Play subscribers like me, right. the platform is dead. Uh, but you, we are also available on SoundCloud, Spotify, um, all the places. If you can, yeah. like the show, rate it, tell a friend. Uh, you can also interact with us on social media at DadBodRapPod on Twitter and at DadBodRapPod on Instagram. We do an Instagram live chat every Friday. We're moving it to 5.30 so that Nate can um, make sure that he is off the clock before uh, <laughs> showing us craft brews and his records. So 5.30 every Friday, uh, 5.30 PST, West Coast Bias. Uh, every Friday, uh, two of three of us or some assemblage will be will be right. there. Um, yeah, we just we really appreciate all the love and support. Dave, it's been a crazy week. I'm gonna let you have last word. Um, you know, I 
it, it's kind of hard to remove myself from politics right right now and i i, I hate to get like too heavy but uh when i heard the news about uh trump um my first reaction was congrats covid <laughs> let's go covid <laughs> there it is there it is rooting for the microbes hope you guys are safe from them no uh tune in next week man dad by rap pod peace <laughs>